welcome. Prepare your heart as we dive into the Word of God. Pastor Steve of Beloved Church in Lena, Illinois is about to lead you into a life-changing encounter with grace and truth. Jesus Christ has a divine destiny perfectly orchestrated for those who are willing to be adventurous enough to receive His favor and blessing into their life. Our prayer is that you will allow the presence of the comforting Holy Spirit of God to radically display the Father's love for you. You are a part of God's beloved family, and that means you are greatly loved. Now over to Pastor Steve. Welcome, beloved. This is the place that you're greatly loved. I am your rock today. I'm Pastor Steve Castle. Uh, I am the guy that just underneath my suit coat, my lavender shirt, Uh, That matched all of the rest of the worship team. Last night before I went to bed, I said, "Uh, what's the color tomorrow, baby? She goes, lavender. And I was staring at her, and she goes, it's like purple. (laughs) I said, oh, I thought it was a fragrance. (laughs) This is why some men have to be married. Right underneath my lavender-smelling shirt is a hero. And there are days that I'm motivated and submitted to and under the direction of that hero, and I do heroic things. And then there are days where I embrace my humanity. And my shirt stays buttoned up, my suit coat is tight, and I grind and sweat through the day in the muck and the mire, and feel like maybe I haven't accomplished a whole lot. Deb was just talking about superheroes. So that's hero plus super. Super means above. And I think it's interesting that the the only reason that any of us really even acknowledge that terminology is because of cartoons. Or comic books or whatever. Because most of this room, if you were if you were really honest, you can't say you know a hero. Our society is so devoid of people that actually have virtue and character that most of us can say, I don't even know if I know a hero. I know some people maybe that have done some courageous things. I know some people maybe that have even done some heroic things, which goes beyond courageous. But a person who actually embraces the identity of on a daily basis living as a hero... He'd be hard-pressed. And it's one of the reasons that society is so devastated. Because who do we look up to? Basketball players? Are you for real? These are the heroes of society. TV stars? Because they can pretend to be someone that they're not better than someone else? That's what makes them a hero? 
about somebody that makes a bunch of money? Uh, think about it. Think about what our society would consider to be the heroes of today. And I will, I will submit to you that I don't believe that a single one of those people has an ounce of virtue or character. Which means to God, they are a loser. If you star in every Hollywood blockbuster and you are the sexiest man alive on the cover of GQ and you could jump over a tall building in a single bound somehow because you've developed yourself in such a way and you wink and girls faint like Elvis. And you accomplish all of this and you work hard and you memorize every line and you know how to do just the right thing on the screen and you get to the end of your life and man, you have got it. The 14 mansions, the 17 marriages and you draw your last breath just like every other human being on this planet. All of a sudden, the books are equal. And Jesus is going to say, depart from me. I never knew you. All of that for nothing. For nothing. And led millions of people to follow him. His TikTok channel probably had the most folks ever. Jesus said, if you gain the whole world but lose your soul what profit is it and I I'm the pastor of a good church it's a good church it's the best church I've ever gone to and it's not because I'm the pastor but this is the best church if I wasn't the pastor I'd be sitting right there because this place is awesome and I also know that even in this room that there is Many people, that it is your daily grind to chase the things of this world, the security of money, the adoration of people. The The glory that the world has to offer. And miss the entire target for your life. The entire target. And this is something that... I know I... I I, I probably beat this dead horse way too much. I get that. But this is something that almost got me. Running all the restaurants, great big title... Six-figure income. When I walked in one of my restaurants, people shook. The boss was there. When I, when I spoke, the company changed. I changed entire protocols in the company because I had influence. 
and I was this close to losing my marriage, my family, and my soul. I was gaining the whole world and losing the important things. My bride, my children, my destiny. And then also as a chaplain at the hospital until I got fired. Long story, I'll tell you one day. I was, I've been with multiple people at the end of life. And I cannot tell you how many people at the end of life I've watched the, the wretchedness of their awareness pour out of them in brokenness. Where they've lived their whole lives 70, 80, 90 years. And they've got nothing. Nothing. And you know, if you live 90 years, you know you worked hard. And some of these folks, one guy, is, he's like, I've got, I've, made, I've got two pensions, I've done all this kind of stuff, I've got all this money, and my kids hate me. And my wife left me 32 years ago. He has everything and nothing. Thank God that guy got to lead him to the Lord and let him know what was really important. But 90 years of futility and vanity. And then he realizes on his deathbed that there was something more important. And if there's one thing I could get, if I could wave a magic wand or rub a genie lamp or sprinkle pixie dust all over you guys, if there's one thing I could get, it would be everyone in this room Dead center, set, face like a flint towards your destiny. Not towards the things of this world or the accolades of this world or the opinions of the people of this world. But live for the pleasure of your Father in heaven. Then you're a hero. In Colossians one twenty seven, in the only time I've ever used this version, the CEV, it says that God did this because He wanted you Gentiles. And I crossed off in my notes, Gentiles, and I put Beloved. Uh, put your name. Please. If you, if you ever read my Bible on my desk, my paper Bible, that I've had since Mommy gave it to me, 1992, I don't even know. Ninety-three, four, somewhere in there. My mommy gave me a Bible. It's one of the greatest things I've ever had in my entire life. I took it to Bible college, and I even read it. That's right. That's right. I'm that guy. I read the Bible. And it, I mean, all over it. There's pages. The reason that you never see me carry my Bible is literally. I think if it left my office, it would just go poof because <laughs> it's held together with tape, and I got glue in it, and I got. I mean, it is. There's tape on top of tape because the tape broke, and I'm like, what's that word? <laughs> I can see it through four layers of tape, and all over my Bible, there's words. There's places where things are crossed off, and I put Steve, Stephen K, the Castle family. Jesus says this about me. 
arrows, circles. It is, it is my Bible because it has my name in it all over that. And it's not because I, I wanted to get myself to understand something. I did that because the Lord spoke those things directly to me. And, man, I'm not going to get off on this. I'll just, I'll just step over here and then I'll step back. In, in Acts chapter 6, when I was talking about Stephen in the Bible, I always kind of like was a little awkward with the Stephen in the Bible thing because I'm like, well, I can't, I can't be that guy because mom named me that guy and that's like creepy. Like trying to go, oh, because your name's Stephen in the Bible, you're going to. And the Lord said, who do you think told your mom to name you that? And I'm like, oh, wait a minute. So I can be him too? He's like, that same spirit that made Stephen do what he did is the same spirit that's in you, Stephen. I'm like, well, now this changes everything. And so in, the, in Acts chapter 6 where it talks about Stephen, a man filled with grace and did mighty wonders and signs among the people. And listen, Stephen wasn't a preacher. He wasn't worship pastor. He wasn't... He was the dude that cleaned the church and had more character than some of the pastors I know and changed the world. God honored him, gave him the the great honor of being the first one in Scripture to be physically martyred for the for the glory of the gospel, for standing up for righteousness. And when he was martyred, Jesus stood up. We all know that Jesus is seated at the right hand of God the Father, seated. And when Stephen was being stoned to death, he said he saw Jesus standing. Jesus stood to receive in honor Stephen. Man, don't you know in heaven, Stephen has way more impact than Tom Cruise. I could say a lot of names, but I won't. And in my Bible, I I mean all over Acts chapter 6, and then he preached a great big sermon in Acts chapter 7. It's one of the longest sermons in the Bible. I think that's where I got it from. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> you believe what you want to believe, I'll believe what I want to believe. And I've got it all marked up in there. You know, he, Stephen knew the Bible and he knew things. There's things in Acts chapter 7 that it's the only place in all of Scripture that we learn things about the Old Testament. Stephen, under the unction of God, had more revelation than all of the pages of the Old Testament added together. Random dude, not pastor, not cool person, not ordained, not licensed, not any of that stuff. Just random dude in the church that had character and virtue. Man. God did this because He wanted you, beloved, to understand His wonderful and glorious mystery. And this mystery is that Christ lives in you. Lives. Present tense. 
right now. Somebody might be thinking, man, I'm struggling, I got a headache today, or I woke up this way, or I'm I'm tired, or I'm, you know, I, my bills are stacking up, or my wife screamed at me on the way to church, or what do you got? Whatever, whatever you got is not any more real than Christ right now, millimeters underneath your epithelial. Just this close to the surface of your skin is Christ. We're just way more aware of our problems. They're more real. Well, I can't see Christ. Okay, well then because things you can't see don't exist or are not true. Amen. If that's true, then why did we have two years of a pandemic from a virus that nobody has ever seen yet? They still haven't found it. It's amazing. It's a, it, I think it's incredible that when I talk to either carnal Christians or non-Christians about the things of God, the things of the Spirit, they're always like, oh, Spirit. And these are people that wash their hands 47 times every minute because they're so scared of germs and viruses and, and wear masks and do... Like, so you're, you can motivate your entire life over things you can't see that you know exist and then you get mad at me because of things you can't see and I know exist. I had a... One time I was, uh, I was testifying to uh, some of the things that we were doing here. Um, I don't want to go there. And... Uh, I was, I was testifying to this guy, and I was like, man, we've seen cancers uh, be healed in our church. We've seen the dead raised. We've seen blind eyes open. We've seen deaf ears open. And he was just looking at me and scowling. And he's like, you've seen cancers healed? I said, yeah. He's like, did you get a doctor's diagnosis on it? I'm like, does it matter? You don't believe me either way. It doesn't, if I had a doctor, if I had you a piece of paper that says, hey, my wife had cancer. And then, it was like four or five months later, she doesn't. If, if a doctor tells you that, you'll believe it. But if a pastor tells you that, you, you realize this is where we are in society. A doctor can say something. It's believable. A politician can say something. It's believable. A government official says something, it's believable. Random dude on the street can tell you to do something, it's believable. Pastor Steve Castle tells you something, pastors, spirituality. It was not that long ago, when I was a kid, say a kid, 14 years old, 15, whatever that is, I worked for uh, Robert Smith. Uh, wrenching on cars in Forreston, Illinois. His name was Smitty. And Smitty was an interesting fellow. Drank a 12-pack a day. Uh, at work, not at work. I mean, it was just, it was all day. Smoked a couple of packs of cigarettes. Great big old beard. I always thought he was like 80 and found out one day he was like 49. I was like, <laughs> he was just that. Great guy. He'd 
in a way, kind of bothered me in some areas, and great guy. <laughs> but, amen. That, that, those two didn't connect very well, but <laughs> he was a great guy. The other stuff was, you know, just stuff. And, um, you know, back when I was, this would have been uh, late 80s, early 90s time, of time, uh, time in, in American history, and uh, one day I was in there uh, working, Smitty kind of like ran the phone. I think I did all the work for the most part. He told me what to do. And so I was working and I was doing all my stuff and I loved it. I'd get dirty and, and break off bolts and he had to fix it. It was awesome. And I came into the little office area and there was always, there was always five or six old guys in there drinking coffee. Like that was their coffee shop. And them and Smitty would just be talking about how to fix the, all the problems in the world, just like old guys do with coffee and cigarettes every single day all over the world. And so I ran in, I was going to ask Smitty a question, and, and right when I was about to say something to Smitty, everybody stood up. Like seven or eight guys all stood up, and I was like... <laughs> and in the door walked the reverend. And Smitty said, Good morning, reverend. And he said, good morning, Smitty. And all six of the guys, good morning, Reverend, good morning, Reverend, good morning, Reverend, good morning, John, good morning, Bob, good morning. And he walked up to Smitty and said, you know, I have a such and such a problem with my car. And he's like, no problem, Reverend, we'll take care of it. I'll run you home right now so you can da 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 And Smitty jumped out of the place, ran out there, got him in the car, took him home, brought the car back, and I worked on the Reverend's car first. 30 years ago. A couple of weeks ago, I got thrown off an airplane. <laughs> Society's changed. Now you can, you can choose where the value is, what you believe, what is real? What's authentic to you? But I can tell you this. God honors reverence. God honors His people. God is pleased with folks that stand for Him, that confess His name, that stand for righteousness. No matter who puts the pressure on them. No matter how much they threaten you with your job. I'm not putting that poison in my body. No, thank you. Fire me. I was talking to a young lady, trying to convince her to take a moral stand for the sanctity of her own body. And it was over the, it was over the vaccine. And uh, how can I say this? Uh, she was she was so distraught over this deal. And I said, "Do you believe that it's okay for someone to do something to your body against your conscience, against your will?" And she's like, "No." I said, "Would you let some man 
come and do something to your body against your will, against your conscience? No. I said, why would you let your employer do it? Well, it's where they, they pay me. If you put the math together, I just gave you the definition of a kind of person that none of us aspire to be. And I said, and I was so, I was trying to help this young lady. And I'm like, I'm like, sis, if you stand for righteousness, God will back you up. And she's like, I know, but I've worked here for da 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 da. And I'm like, well, how much do they pay you? And she's like, they $16 an hour. And I literally turned around, this was in California. And I literally turned around, and out the window, across the block, was a jack-in-the-box. Some of you know what a jack-in-the-box is. I preach for an hour. She's drooling on her husband. I say jack-in-the-box, and she about comes out of her chair. Jack-in-the-box? Give me a jumbo jack. Settle down. We'll, we'll get you a burger later. And I looked across the street, and there's a, there's a jack-in-the-box down the street across that had a big banner on it that says, now hiring all positions starting at $18 an hour. And I turned over to this gal. I said, sis, you could go over there and make $18 an hour and not get a jab. I know, but I like it here. And she stayed. Uh, and I know, I know there's different responses. There's, there's a plethora of responses in this room right now. There are people that are like, you know, I understand because I've been there. And there's people that are just like, I can't believe someone would do that. There, and there's everything in between. I get all that. The point of what I'm going to is that there used to be a time that right was right, good was good, evil was evil. And now we've gotten, everything now is on a sliding scale. It is, they, they started with us in school where you, got a, you were graded on a curve. If everybody in the room got a D, well then you got an A. The reality is, is that if everybody gets a D, it's a D. You, you violating your conscience, you violating your body, you violating um, righteousness or how God is leading you, whether it's for $10 billion or whether it's for a nickel. There's no difference. There's no difference. If you are for sale, I told this to a politician one time. This went over awesome. <laughs> I told this uh, person, I said, you're for sale. And they said, no, I'm not. And I gave them all the examples and all the reasons under the unction of the Holy Spirit. And they had to concede because they knew that I was right. And, I, and they said, their response after all of this, going back and forth, their response is, well, nobody's... Uh, nobody's bought me or nobody has me on their whatever, however they said it. And I said, yeah, but if you're for sale, you'll be bought. You just might have a different price. I don't have a price. 
I've already been bought by the precious blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. And so I'm no longer for sale. There's nothing in me that's for sale. You can't offer me anything. The, the enemy cannot walk up to me and say, Hey, Steve, would you take this over Jesus? I'm not for sale. There's nothing in me that's for sale. If whatever is in you that's for sale, it would be appropriate to deal with it now before someone walks up with that price. You know, it says in the end times that even the elect, even the elect will be deceived. Which means if there's something that's in you that the enemy can get down, no matter whatever that cost is, for some people it's, um, it's the affection of another person. It's, uh, for some people, it's pets. What I've seen people do with pets, I'm not going to go there in Jesus' name. Oh, my Lord. There won't be anybody that will come back next Sunday if I take this road. The mystery is that Christ lives in you and He is your hope of sharing in God's glory. The only hope that you have in sharing the glory of God The word glory is doxa in the Greek. And it means God's opinion and God's value. The only way that you're going to truly live in and understand God's opinion and God's value of you is to get it by your identity through Christ being in you. There's no good thing in you. The best version of Steve Castle of his own making is wretched, terrible, and is like a used menstrual cloth. At best, that's the best version of Steve making Steve. Which means that when I lean on the arm of the flesh, when I lean on my own understanding, if I think I can get it done by the work of my hands, it is terrible. And a lot of people put a ton of their faith and their hope in what they can with their own intellect and with their own sweat and with the toiling of their own hands can produce. And if they look what I built, I, I wonder sometimes that if it isn't like God and he has this 40-year-old guy walk up to him and this 40-year-old guy has a stick figure drawn on a piece of paper with a crayon. And the 40-year-old guy goes, look, God, look what I made. And God has to, because he's loving and gracious, has to say, that's so cute. Way to go, Stevie. That's awesome. 40 years of stick figure with crayons. And God inspired Da Vinci, or I don't know art, so whoever knows, Jess. Give me an artist. Leonardo, yeah, Da Vinci. That's an artist, right? And he made helicopters. I'm going to be a teacher in the school. (laughs) Don't clap for that. (laughs) Run! Take your children and run. Judges chapter 6. One day I'm going to preach on... Uh, Gideon, I promise you. But this is what the this is what the Lord showed up to Gideon when he was hiding from his destiny behind a wine press, 
secretly threshing out wheat so he could make himself peanut butter and jelly sandwich. God showed up in the middle of one of the most wimpy, sissified, emasculated moments for anybody in the Bible and says, You are a great man of valor. And God sees the real us, not the person in the mirror. The angel of the Lord appeared to him and said, Mighty hero, the Lord is with you. Now, why is he a hero? Because God's with him. No God, no hero. With God, mighty hero. Or you could say, superhero. In Psalm 16, verse 3, this is in the NLT, it says, The godly people in the land are my true heroes. This is God. And I, and I don't want to spend a bunch of time unpacking this. But there are people that God has pleasure in. And there's people that He doesn't. And I know this is just going to super wreck the seeker-sensitive dynamic of Christianity that we've embraced today. Like, oh, you know what? The more you fail, the more God loves you. Just go on and fail, 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 fail. You can sin, 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 and God will love you. And, you can, and, and it's true. God's love for you is irrelevant of your sin. God's love for you, God's acceptance of you is irrelevant of your failures. But His pleasure in you His ability to give you things of value, knowing that you're going to be trustworthy with those things. Would anybody in here be excited if you knew that a uh, a pedophile joined the church today and that I put him in charge of the nursery tomorrow? Why? Why would that not be okay? What if he's completely born again and set free and delivered? And why would it not be okay? Because he has to earn the right to be trusted. And many of us don't understand that we need to be living our lives in a way where God can continue to give, a, give the mature ones more and more and more and more. We're not stewarding over the things that we have and we wonder why God's not giving us more. For some of you, it's His mercy. There are people... I don't know about this room, but there are people that I know that I preach in these kind of things that if God gave you a million dollars like you're praying tomorrow, you'd be ruined by Wednesday. I'd have to come drag you out of a gutter, drunk or high or broke or whatever. It is for the mercy of God that some of you don't have the things that you're asking for. The godly people in the land are my true heroes. So what God says, I take pleasure in them. Mm, I have to be done with that. I, I labored over this for hours. Uh, because I, I wanted to get the language right, and I, I still don't have warm fuzzies over it. So I'm, I'm going to continue to seek the Father on this, but I'm going to give you... Five bullet points. Those of you that are taking notes, if you're not, please get a copy of the message or watch it on YouTube Monday. Or podcast. We have YouTube. We have podcast. We have Rumble. We have what else am I missing? We're trying to get a we're trying to get a Truth Social account. We're in line. 
It's a long line. Uh, the first point is courage is first resisting, then fighting against, and eventually defeating a fear or danger that tries to hurt or destroy you personally. I'll say that again so you follow me. Courage. And the reason I'm saying this is because this is, uh, people really don't even know what courage is anymore. It's like a punchline to a joke, or it's a line in a song, or it's, you know, something that's on the title of a movie, and it's, uh, you know what's called courageous now? Coming out of the closet with a sexually deviant lifestyle. I'm attracted to children. Oh, that's courageous. We're glad you came out. No. Uh, uh, never mind. Courage is first resisting, then fighting against, and eventually defeating a fear or a danger that tries to hurt or destroy one personally. So I'm courageous when I basically beat the devil. I'm not courageous just in resisting him. I'm courageous all, when I get through the whole thing. Jesus was courageous when he went through the temptations, the 40 days and 40 nights out in the wilderness, where the enemy and other things were tempting him. It was courageous for him to go out into the wilderness and be tempted. It's courageous for us to know that we're going to get into a situation that we know is going to be hard on us. This is why people don't disciple. Because they know if they're going to get into discipleship and they're going to get intimate with somebody else, that that person that they get intimate with is going to get into the, the nitty gritty, the down and dirty of their life. And they're going to ask them questions they don't want to answer. And they're going to talk about stuff that they don't want to deal with. Just leave me alone. I got my little pile of sin over here and I really like this pile of sin. But I go to church. It's fine. I got a good balance. Okay. But when you get into the deep things that's going on in a person's life and you start to root out that stuff, man, there's times that you can pull a weed out of somebody's life and then like all this dirt puke comes out after it. Like, where did all this come from? Like, I don't know. It was, everything looked okay on the surface and I just pulled this one little weed and then, and then a year later, it's good. Because discipleship is forever. (laughs) Courage is actually on purpose going into those things and saying, you know what, I'm going to beat this. I am tired of being broke. I'm going to actually do what needs to be done to not be broke anymore. I am sick and tired of being sick and tired. And so I'm not going to be sick and tired anymore. I'm going to deal with sick, and I'm going to deal with tired. And I'm going to do the courageous thing. If it means change my diet, if it means change my lifestyle, if it means change my circle of influence, if it means watch different things, read different things, I'm going to do the courageous thing. I'm actually going to change things in my life to deal with something that's actually causing me problems. The world, they just get a pill. You got a problem? Get a pill. Well, now i got another problem. Get another pill. Wash, rinse, repeat. you got a problem? Well, then get a self-help book. Self-help. 
Self, help. You, you do know self is the reason you need help. Self destroyed you. You're going to self-help yourself out of what self put you into? That's a special stupid. We'll send a short bus for you when we get the ark up and running. So courage is, a, is going after those things that you know are on, in your life on purpose to destroy you personally. Courageous people, this is number two, courageous people become disciplined in defeating personal fears. So courage is going after these things. Courageous now is nature. Okay, a non-courageous person can do courageous things. Just like an unrighteous person can do righteous things. Just like a righteous person can do stupid things. But when you actually have identity of courageous, that means when you identify things coming into your life that you know are coming to hurt or destroy, you on purpose go after them. All right. Come on. Come on, Goliath. Come into the covenant land of the people of God. I've got a rock for you. Courageous people are looking for places to exercise their courage. Now, courage is about you personally. This is about a person that is is not going to be a victim of the world anymore. They've left uh, the plate. and the, The scriptures say that the devil walks about looking whom he may devour. A courageous person says, I'm off the menu. You may not devour me ever at any time any, any, for uh, any part of me. You can't devour anything. I'm off the menu. You can go roam somewhere else. Because if that lion would happen to stop by your house, it's whack. And so he just knows better. It'd be like David. Grab him by the beard and smote him. I'm working on my smoting. So courageous people do this as part of their nature. They go after things that they know are coming after them. If the devil dare send a problem into your life, you're like, all right, I got a problem and I got a God. Watch this. Here, honey, hold my coffee. (laughs) Number three, a courageous person discerns heroic opportunity. So a hero has to have courage. In fact, a hero has to be a courageous person. And courageous people, they start to discern heroic opportunities. Which is... When someone else is having something come into their life to hurt or destroy them. A courageous person guards themselves. When temptations come, when evil comes, when destruction comes, uh uh-uh, not around here, bucko. Not today, Satan, not tomorrow. But a hero has the same courage, but now they have that courage for other people or for society as a whole. Heroes are bigger than themselves. They're looking, a courageous person starts to discern and look for opportunities to do heroic things for other people. And not worry about um, having any positive recompense for it. They just do it because it's right. 
I cannot tell you how many times I've had to say this to someone. Do the right thing. Because it's right. Well, what if it costs me money? Oh my God! I don't know how to make this any more clear. You do the right thing because it's right. It doesn't matter whether it makes you money or costs you money. It doesn't matter if it makes you friends or costs you friends. It doesn't matter if it makes your family happy with you or mad at you. You do the right thing. God wants to know that you're going to do the right thing. He wants to give you things that you're going to do the right thing with. I don't want God to give me Kay, one of the most amazing people on the whole earth, and then be worried 30 years later if I'm going to beat her, hurt her, defile her. That's his daughter. My children. I have, a, I, have an, I have a responsibility. They're not my kids. I, even though I birthed them, it was a long process in the hospital. I struggled. <laughs> They're not my kids. They're his kids. That he gave me the honor, the sacred, holy honor of having a little window of opportunity to release wisdom and, and the nature of the Father and, and to raise them up in the way that they should go and then let them go <laughs> that way. They're not mine. You're not mine. This is my church. You're not my sheep. I don't have sheep. You're his sheep. I'm a sheep. I just happen to be the lead sheep. At this point. But then sometimes I'm a drummer. And sometimes, like on Thursday, I'm the vacuum cleaner runner. What, what's the vacuumer? -er? Yeah. And some of you people are nasty. I know the chairs. Mm -hmm. Oh, who sits here? Y'all might want to move next week. It's, I, you're not my sheep. You don't belong to me. You're his. Do you, I, I don't know how many of you understand this, but every single day when I wake up, I, I am almost beside myself with gratitude and thanksgiving to the Lord that He gave me the right to speak into other people's lives. And also the, the heavy, heavy weightiness to know that I've got to do it right. I promise you, promise you, you will never see me riding down the road drunk with some gal. It will be, and if you hear about it, it's a lie. I promise you, because this is worth more to me than my life. The fact that I get to stand up here and minister my father's heart and minister his word to people like you. You guys are the best. Like, I, if this was a bad church, I'd be like, whatever, you guys... But this is a great church with great people. And I'm, you guys know me, most of you know me intimately and personally, and I know you intimately and personally. I, I would never, ever want to evaluate that. This is a huge honor for me. Huge. What about you? What are the things in your life that God gave you? Are they your children or are they God's children? Is it your spouse? Or is that God's son or God's daughter and you're treating them that way? You know how you treat the king's daughter is how you would treat the king? Amen, men. Hey women, how you treat 
the king's son, the prince, is how you treat the king. And I promise you, some of you, God is not pleased in how you treat him. That got quiet right there. I'll go back to my notes. A courageous person, number three, discerns heroic opportunities. Number four, heroism is first resisting, then fighting against, and eventually defeating the fears or dangers that are trying to hurt or destroy others. And then lastly, heroes are people who have developed courage as a high virtue in their own character and lifestyle. Your life is not your own. You bought with a price. If I die today, defending the gospel, defending God, or defending one of you, let it be written, I died a hero. Defending God's people, defending God, defending His word, defending righteousness. Be the greatest honor of my life. Mom named me Stephen because she knew one day I was going to be a martyr. No? Yeah? I don't know. We still argue about that. But I'm already a martyr. I've already died. I did. I, so, if I got to catch a bullet for one of you, if I got to catch a bullet for the Word of God. You know what killed John the Baptist? Most people have never even thought about this. John the Baptist was beheaded for standing for biblical sexual purity. And I'll guarantee you there's maybe ten people in this room that would be beheaded for standing for biblical sexual purity. And John the Baptist, one of the most famous people in all of human history, died defending biblical sexual purity. My, how far we've come. Now it's encouraged at pulpits. I've heard preachers talk about it. Just tell your kids to go live together and work it out. That way they don't get married and then get divorced because that'd be terrible. Yeah, just let them try each other out like a used car. And then wonder why they don't have any value for who they are as a person or have any value for sexual purity. Heroes are people who have developed courage as a high virtue in their own personal character and lifestyle. Hebrews 2, 14 and 15 in the BSB says, Now since the children have flesh and blood, and I'm breaking right in the middle of a thought, and you're just going to have to go with me. He, Jesus, is the He. He too shared in their humanity, so that by His, Jesus' death, He, Jesus, might destroy him, Satan, who holds the power of death. That is the devil. Man, I I could unplug right here and probably fix a bunch of people's goofy doctrine over, well, it was a blessing. God, God took him home. God came and took great Aunt Susie with death. So... So God and Satan are working together to kill great Aunt Susie, so just so God can get her home. Give me a break. Death is an enemy. Jesus defeated the enemy. Satan, who holds the power of death, that is the devil, 
and free those who all their lives were held in slavery by their fear of death. And I know some of you might be so born again <laughs> that you're like, well, I'm not, I don't have any fear of death. I know that if I, if I die today, then I'm going to be with Jesus. Great. Death has many faces. How about, uh, how about financial death? Some of you won't make decisions over uh, what to do with your money. You hear Bob talk about wealth building and, you know, and so on into stuff. And Ryan telling you to write a $15,000 check for bathrooms, which would be really spiritual. <laughs> you hear stuff like that and you're like, no, 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 no. Because then I would be, I would have less money. Which would be like death. It's a form of death. It's financial death. Having less money. And it's because you believe that if you give money away, you have less. Thank God the farmers don't believe that. Every farmer out there, crazy, whacked out, padded room lunatics. Because here they take all this good seed that could be turned into bread. And they just throw it in the dirt. Crazy. And then, I don't know how, but they end up with more towards the end of the fall. I, it's, I don't know how that works. They actually believe that if it leaves their hand, like Jesus said in John chapter 12, unless a seed goes into the ground and dies, it cannot produce. Financial death is, I have this much, I gave some away, I have less. Death. It's a slow death. You know, the devil wants to kill everyone in this room. And no one in here more or less. He doesn't want me dead any more than he wants you dead. We're all equal. <laughs> he has, he's no respecter of persons just like God. God is no respecter of persons. He loves you and I equally. He thinks more about me. But the devil is the same thing. He hates you as much as he hates me. He wants you dead as much as he wants me dead. It, he's no respecter of persons. God's no respecter of persons. So... In that desire to kill you, you know, he would prefer... I used to not believe this, but the Lord kept working on me, and now I believe this. You know, he would prefer for you to slide slow, to, to die slow. If you just, like, car wreck, super awesome, lovely person, and car wreck, and you go away, you know, at your funeral, likely, like, 50 people are going to come to the Lord, like, oh, they were such great, and they ended their life so short, and... But if you're a Christian, and Satan can kill you slowly over 10, 20, 30 years while you tell everyone you're a Christian, you know you'll actually take about 50 people to hell with you? Because you'll be living death over a long period of time, and then people will say, man, I don't want that guy's Jesus. That guy's Jesus stinks. Can't even take care of him. He's going to take care of eternity? He couldn't even help that guy's marriage. Why would I want your Jesus? Nobody, I don't think any... Let me scan the room. I've told people in uh, counseling, I'm like, you need to delete your social media. Because you tell people you're a Christian on social media. And then you live this life. Which means you are defiling and blaspheming God. You'd be way better off saying, I'm not a Christian... I just like the Bible, here's a cool verse. 
I'm telling you, it'd be way better. And I don't know anybody. I don't even get on social media anymore. So if you think and I'm thinking about you, I'm not. I don't. I don't see your guys' posts. I stopped because I was ministering to people and I'd see their posts and I'm like, ooh, this person. So I just quit doing it because I couldn't handle it. Quit telling people you're a Christian unless you're going to be. Christian means Christ in. If your life is not Christ in, stop it. You're not helping God by being half Christian, half sinner, and then just tell, well, you know, the Lord's got a lot of grace and mercy. Look at all the stupid stuff I did, and God still loves me. That is no testimony to God. It's a testimony to His love for you, but it's not a testimony of Him living in you. So stop. Unless you're going to be it, embrace it, live it in every way. You can't be a Christian and cuss a little. Your tongue is a weapon. You don't kill people with your tongue. You don't cuss a little. Well, I didn't do it at anybody. Oh, well, then it was at you. (laughs) You, you You don't get to excuse away the things that are in your life and call it Christ. This is why I know that most people don't really believe that Christ lives in them. Because they can go do stuff. And it's like God's a million miles away. He's not. He's with you. Not in a creepy way. Because when I was a kid, I used to hear this stuff. I'm like, does God go to the bathroom with me? Yes and no. (laughs) He sees in the Spirit. I'm like, thank God. Because in the bathroom, most of you are not in the Spirit. I am. I'm so holy. It says that he holds the power of death, that is the devil, and Jesus freed us who all of our lives were held in slavery by fear of death. Not by death, by fear of death. You know how many people live their lives? Every single decision in their life is a derivative of fear. Well, I'm not going to say this because this person will be mad. So your fear... The other person's response. Yes. Are they a godly person? No. So you're going to not do the godly thing because of the response of an ungodly person. Yes. (laughs) Well, I would like to, I'd like to do this uh, with my, at my workplace. I'd like to talk to people about Christ, but they'll fire me. So you'll stay there and not talk about Christ. Happens all the time. They threatened to fire me like seven times. I got rode up. <laughs> like I, have a pre- I had a pristine working whatever record, except for he, he tries to, uh, they, what was their word? He tries to, uh, not disciple, uh, a pro- yeah, yeah, apostolicize. He tries to apostolicize people to his religion. Uh, yeah, whatever that word. Okay. <laughs> Mitchell will get me later. He'll fix it. He tries to do that. It's like I got it on forms. And they were like, you sign here. And I'm like, so is this a bad thing? <laughs> Am I in trouble? Because like, this is pretty cool. I'm like, Jesus, look what, <laughs> look what they said about me. Well, I mean, you, you shouldn't get fired over this. So why? Because you want to keep that job? Because your employer, that employer is so great, God called you there? And then told you you can't talk about Him? 
I had a person one time, I was working through the things in life, and things were happening. This person was a single mother, had a bunch of kids, and every, all the kids were scattered from the cupboard and just a, a wreck. And we started working through stuff, and it took like six months or a year, but man, things started to click for this person. And the kids were all, it was awesome. Um, things were going, and then about a year and a half in, uh, she's like, Pastor Steve, Pastor Steve, God gave me the job that I've always wanted. I'm like, praise God. She's like, I got this big raise and I got all this stuff. And I'm like, oh, praise God. We've been praying for this for like six months. And she's like, oh, I'm so excited. There's only one downfall. And I'm like, what's that? She goes, uh, I have to work all day Sundays and Wednesdays. I said, you, you what? Like, yeah, I can't come to church anymore. And that's from God. God gave you the big raise and the cool job, then you can't be around His people and His word and His... Yeah, that's from God. Well, depending on who you call God. Fear of death. We're not scared of the death death. We're actually scared of the fear of death. What would other people think? What would, what would the government do to me if I did this? I don't know. Kill you? Put you in jail? Well, who cares? Are you doing what you're supposed to do? Yeah. Well, then why are you worried about whatever they say they're going to... You know, most of the time when you're being threatened by these scenarios, they're, not, they're threats. Well, if you do this, I'm going to do this. Okay, we'll see. Bluff. Liar. You know, does anybody know the devil lies? Does anybody know that if you didn't wear a mask, you didn't die? Anybody? Like, I, I didn't wear a mask. <laughs> a, a lot of times, maybe a few times, I should have capitulated. I would have got to Alaska. But it, I, did, I didn't wear a mask. I didn't die. It, it's Because according to all of the medical science and doctors and all the smart people and, and everybody that knows everything, I should have died. I didn't die once. <laughs> Most of the lies that they're telling you is to get you into the fear. The fear is what puts you into captivity. This the it's the fear of slavery, and some of them aren't even rational fears. Well, I don't want to say this to Kay because she'll get mad at me. Kay hasn't been mad at me. I don't know when. I mean, she should. I didn't say Kay hasn't had a reason to be mad at me. (laughs) I said Kay hasn't been mad at me for I don't even know how long. I don't think the kids, maybe they can. Have you ever heard us scream at each other? I don't know. I I didn't want to put you on the spot. Anyway, I I don't think she's ever been mad at me. Maybe. No, never mind. I don't think she's ever been mad at me. But if I was like, well, I don't want to do this because Kay will be mad. I literally created a fear to be feared of. How many times in our lives? How many, especially about talking to people, well, if I say this to this person, they're going to da-da-da-da-da. How many times did God actually orchestrate it where if you do say that thing, which is truth to that person, they get set free and then they love you more? How about that being an option? Why do we always go to the negative? Why are we quick to go to the fear? Well, if I stand up against Governor Pritzker about shutting down the churches, he'll put me in jail. Or we can open up all the churches in America. 
why didn't we think that through? And I'll be honest, like I was like, they said they're going to do all this stuff. It's pretty likely. And the Lord was saying, hey, maybe, maybe, just maybe, something good will happen at the end of this. Well, I'm just a hoping and a praying, Lord. Through all their life, we're subject to bondage and slavery by the fear of death. I'm going to go to Luke chapter 8. Now I'm going to tell you this at the, at the get-go of this. Matthew chapter 8 and Mark chapter 4 have the exact same scenario. This, this historical recollection of these three disciples is the exact same moment, but each of them adds a little bit different details. I'm going to read out of Luke 8, but I'm going to add in a few of the other details that come out of the other two. So just... Uh, follow along and, uh, and you'll be okay. Luke chapter 8 and starting in verse 22 it says, Now it came to pass on a certain day Mark tells us that it was in the evening that he, Jesus, went into a ship with his disciples. This is the twelve. These are the cool kids. The faith, faith, faith ones. The, the ones that should be heroes. And it says, Mark says that they followed him. So Jesus got into the ship first and they followed him. And he said unto them, let us, us is me and you, let us go over unto the other side of the lake. And they launched forth. They believed him. Okay, Lord, you're the Lord, we're not. Whatever you say. Aye, aye, Captain. But, verse 23, but as they sailed, he fell asleep. (laughs) Oh boy. This is what our generation believes. That we've been sailing in America for 240 years and basically Jesus is asleep. There's no more God. We're on our own. We're just going to have to figure it out. Uh, Most Christians believe this. Well, I know I got Christ in me, but he must be sleeping. Wake up. Don't you see the problems, Lord? Come on. No, he's aware. He's just in peace. He's just in peace. (laughs) Sometimes you're... uh, You probably have heard people say this. Your emergency is not mine. You know sometimes your emergency is not the Lord's? Because it's not actually an emergency. You just created it. Amen. I'll move on. You guys didn't like that. As they sailed, he fell asleep. You know why? Because he told them what they were going to do. We are going to go to the other side. They started sailing. So he fell asleep. You know, if you think that the Lord's sleeping and you're wondering where his power is, maybe you need to get back to the thing that he told you to do. He fell asleep, and there came a storm of wind. In Matthew, it says a great tempest, which in the Greek is mega seismos, which is where we get seismic. It's talking about an earthquake. And mega, you probably know what mega is, even though you're not a child of the 90s, mega is mega. So it's mega seismic. So this wasn't like the wind picked up. This was mega seismic. Now notice when it showed up. 
when Jesus fell asleep. Because the mega seismic knows better than to show up when Jesus is not asleep. Why do you think the devil picks on some of y'all? I'll move on. Came down a storm of wind on the lake. Was this from God? Did God want Jesus to be in a storm? (laughs) And they were filled with water and in jeopardy. And you can hear the 70s song, I'm in jeopardy. They were filled with water and in jeopardy. What was Jesus doing? (laughs) If he only cared about my situation, he would totally be engaged with all my problems right now. Or he'd be asleep. Because he told you what to do. I know, but it ain't working. Can't you tell? There's water in the boat. You're in a lake. I think Jesus, this is me speculating, I think Jesus knew that there was going to be a mega seismic thing and really honestly just anticipated that the guys that he put in charge of getting him from point A to point B were going to get him from point A to point B. I would. There's people that I disciple. There's people I'm close with in my life. There's people that I trust that I believe that if I say, hey, let's do this, they're going to do it. And I'm not even Jesus. And they'd still do it. Here's another thing that I don't, I've never heard anybody say this, and, but this is something I think about. What if he wouldn't have woke up? Would he have died? Would Jesus have drowned her to death? Maybe it's just me. I think I just ask weird questions. The answer is no. Jesus was going to the other side of his lake. Now, whether the disciples went with him or not, or whether they went with him in peace or not, that's up to them. But Jesus was going to the other side of the lake. Jesus had stuff to do. His destiny was unfulfilled. His atonement was unfulfilled. Humanity was going to be rescued by Jesus, and it wasn't going to be a wind of storm that was going to take him out. He was going to the other side. The disciples, in a way, basically attracted this. Yeah, I didn't think that'd go over very well. And they came to him, verse 24, and awoke him, saying, Master, Master! Sometimes you'll notice the language that disciples use. When they really, really need him to be Master and Lord, they say, Master and Lord. (laughs) Master, Master, we perish. Matthew said that they said, Lord, save us, sozo. Lord, sozo us. Lord, heal me, sozo me. Lord, Master, sozo me, heal me. Wake up! Don't you know how much pain I'm in? Mark said, they said, Master, carest thou not that we perish? Man, that is bold. That is bold. Jesus, don't you care that we're dying? No, you're right. Born of a virgin, 
rescuing all of humanity, Son of God, came down here to atone for the sin and the death for all of mankind. You're right. I don't care that you guys die. I've had this happen to me a lot. Literally a lot where people have... have well, you don't care if people die. You're going to open up your church and be a super spreader and, and you're not going to wear a mask and you're not going to take a back. Don't you care about anybody else? You're right. I got into the, into the kingdom. This is, this is what I laid down my, my big job for, my, big, my seven houses and my cars and my motorcycles to come to Pearl City, God bless them, and start a church in a funeral home. It was so I could kill a bunch of people later on in Lena in a purple church. That, that was the plan. Nobody, you found me. Way to go. This is what I wanted to do is kill a bunch of people with COVID at the church. This is what they're saying to Jesus. Don't you care that we're dying? Who has ever loved any of these 12 guys more than Jesus? And they had an intimate relationship with the person of love and they still said, don't you care that we're dying? How many times have we gone to God like this? God, don't you care about my situation? Don't you know how much pain and pressure I saw in my life? Don't you know how many tears I've wet on my pillow? Yeah, He knows. He knows. And here's here's something too. When I see people do this, I'm like... If I was you, I would not be so quick to condemn the only person that has the ability to save you. Then he arose and rebuked the wind and the raging of the water. Mark said that he said to the sea, peace, be still. He rebuked the wind and told the sea, peace, be still. You know, he was in peace. Jesus was not in the storm. Jesus was in peace. The disciples were in a storm. So Jesus made his environment, their environment, by his words. He released what he had into his environment, and his environment bowed the knee to the master of storms. Why can't you do this? Why can't you be in the raging of your storms? And release the peace of God, the power of God, into your circumstances and immediately they bow to the master of storms Christ in you the hope of you living in his glory why would it be different? and there was a great calm This word for calm was only used three times in all of Scripture. And it's Galena. And these these three instances of this exact same story were the only place in all of the Bible that used this word. Galena. Which means cheerful tranquility. Cheerful tranquility. The lake became cheerfully tranquil. 
That's the peace that was in him that got into the... You know the disciples could have had that? It was right there. If they could wake him up, if they could touch him and wake him up, that means that the peace, the tranquil, cheerful peace that was right there was available to them. But they were so aware of the storm. They were so aware of the infutility of their boat. They were so aware of the water getting in the boat. They were so aware of the wind that just a few inches away was cheerful tranquility that they would not tap into because of fear. Fear. And he said unto them, Where is your faith? (laughs) He couldn't say, Where's your courage? Where's your courage? Mark said, Why are you so fearful? Which is the word delios. I'm going to just read. This is out of the, the concordance. Which means... An adjective derivative of fear-driven. Why are you so fear-driven? Properly, dreadful. Describing a person who loses their moral gumption or fortitude. That is needed to follow the Lord. Fearful of losses. Refers to an excessive fear or a dread of losing. Causing someone to be faint-hearted. Cowardly. I'm reading it. Cowardly is the definition of why are you so fearful? Cowardly. Hence, to fall short in following Christ as Lord. Delios is always used negatively in the New Testament and stands in contrast to the positive fear that can be expressed by Phobos, which is the fear of God, which means reverence or awe. You know what this means? If you fear God... If you have reverence and awe for God and you know He's in you, you will never fear anything else. Any one of these disciples could have said, Storm? We are supposed to take Him there. So Storm, I don't know what you got to do, but we're taking Him there. Because He said so. Jesus rebuked the storm, and then he rebuked the fearful. If you're a fearful person, you get the same rebuke as the devil's attacks on mankind. I would rather not be rebuked by the Lord for cowardice and fearfulness. I've got to be done. Man, I'm, you should see the other part of this. Like the rest of this, This was just the intro. You should see the other part. In in Revelation it says that the first list of people that go to hell are the fearful and unbelieving. And I don't believe go to hell like die, go to hell. I believe experience hell on earth. Has anybody ever been gripped by real legit fear? That is hell. It gets in your guts. It turns you. I've actually watched people uh, 
physically get ill over fear. Fear can give you all kinds of terrible, terrible, terrible things and will put you into a form of slavery and bondage that few people have ever experienced. And I'm telling you that the master of storms is on the inside of you. So no matter what the storm is, there's somebody on the inside of you that's saying, Peace, be still, be a hero, and own your lake. Amen. All right, please rise. Thank you so much for sharing this time with us as we have encountered Jesus Christ through the ministry of His life-changing Word. If you would like to learn more about Steve Castle Ministries and Beloved Church, you can go online to stevecastle.com or belovedchurchillinois.com. You can also contact us at 815-990-0367. Always remember that you are a part of the Beloved Family of God, and Beloved Church is the place where you are greatly loved. Now please open your heart to receive as Pastor Steve proclaims the blessing of the Father over your life. I pray, I declare that above all things that you allow the finished work of the cross to bring prosperity into your finances and also divine health prospering your body and all of these things are going to affect you in a supernatural way as you allow your soul, your mind, your will, your emotions and your personality to be perfected in prosperity that the Father desires for you to have. We love you and we cannot wait to see and be with you again soon. Goodbye, beloved.